year was 1999, and the world as we know it was about to change. Everyone was in a frenzy with Y2K right around the corner, and they needed to blow off some steam. And that happened to come in Woodstock 99. This was to be the biggest concert of the millennium, and it turned out to be one heck of a mess. So that's what David and I are talking about today on this episode of Full Throttle Thursday. We are going back to Woodstock 99, talking about a couple of recent documentaries that went out. Let's go. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We're Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, BT, and welcome to another Full Throttle Thursday. Got David here with me, and we're going to be talking some uh, pretty interesting stuff today. I always say that, but yeah. this is especially especially yeah. fun because this is bringing us back, you know, some 20, 23 odd years ago. Today, the focus of our attention is going to be on the Woodstock 99, but we're also going to be bringing in a little bit of Woodstock 69, maybe a little talk yeah. about 94, maybe the Woodstock brand as a whole. And what's interesting about this is they recently released a three-part documentary series on Netflix that you and I both had an opportunity to enjoy. And it sort of satiated my appetite to go dig a little deeper in here. And I know you wanted to do the same. You're yeah. a big music lover. So let's go ahead and get yeah. into this. Let's well, I wouldn't it. say that I enjoyed the Netflix documentary. It was, yeah. pre, it was a pretty scary It was shocking. It was absolutely yeah. shocking. I, I enjoyed the, like, the, the full-blown content of what they're putting out as far as <clears throat> this information because a yeah. lot of people want to just sort of brush this underneath the rug. And now that we're 20 years beyond it, people want to ne- know more about this yeah. crazy crazy, crazy festival. I'd have been out of there the first day. Oh my God. There's absolutely. no question. Not, so, not even a question in my mind. Cause that's not my thing to be jammed in like sardines with 400,000 people absolutely. when it's a hundred degrees and everybody's on all, every kind of drug imaginable Exactly. and drunk Yeah. and naked. Like now nah, I'm going. Yeah. I'm so, out. so just to <laughs> fill our listeners up who may be unaware of this because maybe they're, you know, doing other things at, the, at this time, but we're going to be referring to a couple of documentaries in particular. One of them is the three part Netflix documentary that just came out. That one is titled train wreck Woodstock 99. And then the other one was one we found on, I believe it was HBO Max is streaming it now. And that's from, it's a series called Music Box, and that's called Woodstock 99 Peace, Love, and Rage. So we're going to be referring to those as well as bringing in some other information from the other festivals that went on. I think that most of our audience probably knows what the original Woodstock was in 1969. If not, jump on Google real quick and look that up and you'll have a base of reference. So now that we got the housekeeping out of the way, let's talk a little bit about the uh, human psychology in this, this crazy, crazy. Well, the the thing that was interesting, so I've I've actually watched this 99 one now two and a half, three times. Okay. Um, And and I also went in and watched the HBO version of it, right? Which I thought brought more information to the, I thought the 90, I thought the Netflix one was very narrow in their focus, right? The HBO one was, had a more broad scope and it gave you more information. But here's the craziest thing about this. Like the thing... The reason that I wanted to talk about it for me was the mindset behind it is it's like, what the hell caused that to happen? Because you got 400,000 people losing their freaking mind. Um, yeah, people who normally wouldn't lose their mind. People, well, you would think they normally right, would. Right. But so then, it's, a, it's a real interesting um, uh, lesson in human uh, behavior 
and what could what could possibly go wrong and i think this is one of those situations like i'm not one of those big conspiracy guys on uh the monster or the evils of capitalism but in this case i would say that it played a definite role of it in 99 oh sure because because of what they did to manipulate 400,000 people um in the middle of a hundred degree three-day event so there, it's interesting because if you if you watch it, you have you have several different uh, angles by which they're telling the story, right? So you have the documentary guys that are telling the story, they're interviewing guys that were there that were attendees, they're interviewing people there that were security that were there, they're interviewing the 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 producer and Michael Lang who put the thing on. They're introducing some of the news people that were there from MTV and some of the bands, right? Did I get everybody? Yeah, you did. did. You got them all. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. A lot of people being talked to. A lot of people being talked to. So well, what's fascinating is basically everybody has the same story. It's not my fault, right? And everybody that was that. involved. Yeah, leave with that. It's not my <laughs> it's fault. Not my it's fault. Fault. not my fault, right? right. And uh, it's like, oh, that's really fascinating that everybody's coming from this place where it's not my fault. Now, I watched it and I was like, hmm. If you were going to blame this on any one individual, you would. And Michael Lang would be the person to take responsibility. It was his event, yeah, right? Promoter, like yeah. if I put it on, I would take responsibility from the fact that this became a complete shit show because because I didn't prepare properly for it, right? Forget about motives. I didn't prepare properly for this event, and it was obvious that he didn't prepare properly for the event. But I think it was also an exercise in everything that could go wrong did go did wrong, go wrong. Yeah. and it all went wrong at the exact wrong time right so it's like you watch the th you from day one you watch the um the entire uh crowd and mindset begin to dissolve into anarchy oh there's right? a major just, deterioration happening yeah what, I mean, so what did you think well, about when as, you were watching as i'm it? thinking about it all i could think about was you know all of these people first of all are on a gigantic air force base a decommissioned air force base right. and it's really really hot because those right. runways and tarmacs i've been to i've been to air shows at edwards air force base out in california before and you're out there for an entire day and if you can't get into one of those hangars to get a little respite from the sun i don't know how people can even handle it yeah. i was outside this weekend near black top and i was only out there for 10 minutes and i wanted to just curl up into a ball and cry myself right. to yeah sleep. it's all concrete and oh it's top. so hot yeah. so not only that but then you've also got you know they, they confiscated all their water on the way in so you know you're going there for three days you're bringing your camping supplies you're bringing your sleeping bag your tent you're bringing a bunch of water so you can hydrate they took all that stuff away which immediately to me was like that's crazy right so now you've basically said yeah, they gonna, took their food and their water food and away. water yeah, yeah they were trying and I, I get you know you don't want people bringing in a but but they're going to bring in shit anyways they're going to bring in alcohol they're going to bring in drugs they're going to get it in so let them bring it in people will still support your vendors well, that right? they let them bring in they yeah, let the drugs they, yeah, go which in. is so crazy and that that'll be another situation we talk about here in a moment but as i saw this start to develop after the first day you know it really started to set the tone you could see that people were really starting to become frustrated with the conditions of the festival and also the conditions with which they couldn't use the bathrooms they couldn't get drinks of water right. they couldn't do any of these things and you know if you're if you're hangry or if you're thirsty or any of these other things you start to lose your mind like i've said things that have come out of my mouth before where i get just flat out pissy when i just oh, haven't yeah. had enough to eat yeah. and these people are tripping balls off friggin any kind of drug they can put in their mouths and not only that which which blew me away with this whole thing you know you've got three straight days of this festival they didn't give them any downtime right because immediately after that last band closes out the set on friday you immediately 
immediately roll over into the rave hangar and they're jumping all night long. All I night mean, long. this music is playing. So there was no downtime. You know, as I was sitting there watching it, I was thinking to myself, when are these people going to sleep? Now, here's what's fascinating. After doing a deep dive in this and watching both documentaries, I started listening to like another podcast where they were talking about people who were actually there you get very different narratives from every single person. It's your perception about how you perceived it. The people that I listened to, they loved it. They said it was the most amazing thing. They yeah. would do it in a second, right? Yeah. Then you watch these documentaries and immediately you're like, well, what is MTV's role in all of this? You know, because, you know, Kurt Loder was really rough on them. You know, all these MTV yeah. VJs were very rough on them. And then you've got the, the promoter side of things. You know, you got the John Share who came across as a complete villain in this well, thing. Well, right so. so, but and also, the, we got to remember something. They also did a huge pay-per-view Correct. event on it. Correct. Which they had people going out inciting people, like, to take their tops off and do that for totally. the, the pay-per-view. Because yeah. the pay-per-view was R-rated. And it was everything goes, and that's what they were trying to show. Everything goes in that thing because they want the they, they want the, they want to make the sales. And, and, yeah. you know, when you're when you're charging sixty dollars for a pay per view weekend, you know they made close to you know they, well it wasn't really reported how much they pulled in from pay per view, but they believe it was probably around thirty million dollars just from the pay per view buys alone really? because people knew this was going to be an event. They just didn't know what kind of event. You know, in sixty nine it was its own thing, and then in ninety four it became another thing because of the wet the wetness. Yeah. And the rain and the mud flinging. And then 99, the, the bands they had on the roll there, like the people they had, for you to be only have to pay like $150, $180 to go for three days of that blows your mind. But I think after a while, it really started to sour because you had just a bunch of people, again, tripping on drugs, doing crazy shit, and they just weren't in their right minds. And they were right. completely and totally right. uh, distracted by everything right. that was going on. It, blew, it, was, it was scary. Yeah, so like... like I mean, you can take, you can take um, uh, any any talented group of documentary people, and you can turn a mass into a witch hunt. I mean, oh, totally. You can always show it, There's show narrative. things, narrative there, and yes. create a story that doesn't exist. I mean, I think that it was obvious that there was a lot of shenanigans going on and a lot of complete structural uh, breakdowns. I mean, everything broke down. Everything, everything that could break down broke down in there. The the toilets were overflowing with shit and and pouring out into the grass. Yeah. They break the water line because they can't get water fast enough because they're regulating the water. That is mixing with the feces, right. which is creating what looks like a mud pit. And people are thinking to themselves, 69 sliding in the mud Woodstock. We're going to slide in the mud here. And they're sliding in human yeah. feces. Yeah, I mean, they, it, no they were covered in feces. Right, right. Right, they so had gross. everybody got trench mouth. It was like yes. it was like, oh my god, how do you not know that you're doing this? But when you're tripping balls, you don't know. You don't know, yeah. You they, don't know. You're drunk. You're like, well, and you're going with the masses. You're just going yeah. with what everybody else is doing. It's a total hive mind herd mentality, and that's what these people were doing. Right. And I love that you bring the narrative piece into it because you know you have a a, a distinct vision in your mind in your head about what Woodstock '69 was. Right. And then I do as well. And I haven't really seen the doc documentary that they filmed like that concert for documentary for 69 and that was one of the things that they talked about in one of the documentaries i can't remember which one where they talked about how we romanticized 1969 because of that documentary that documentary encapsulated the the narrative that they wanted to put out there so right. when we look back on it now we're like oh yeah that was chill nothing was went wrong everything, music, was, everything great. was great and the reality was they had 
riots there. They had to airlift in supplies. The U.S. military had to. They were setting fires to food stands theirs as well. And people also died. But we have selective memory about that one because of the narrative of that film. It's just so interesting. Yeah, they and never told the dark story they did of not 69. Tell the dark story I wasn't even I knew two people died there and two people were born. That made headline news uh, back in sure. the day. But the story that I grew up with, and I was three years old when when 69 happened. So, I mean, I don't remember it as it happened. But shortly afterwards, the people that I was around, it was a big thing. It was a big talking yeah. point. Things didn't change as fast back then, right? So that story hung out long. And then the next year, the album came out, which everybody got the album. Correct. And then the documentary came out. And it was, people, you're right, people remembered it as the story was told. I didn't know about the dark stuff until you started digging yeah. and told me. I didn't know that there were riots. I knew about they had to airlift food in. I knew that they ran sure. into a problem because more people showed up than they expected yes. to show Gate up. Gate crashers. Gate crashers. Stuff, they yeah. then made it a free concert, which was a smart thing to do. Yes. But they tried. See, the airlifting of the food is they're trying to get supplies they are, to the correct. kids. That's in '99, they here. said, "Fuck you." They did, and they raised the price of twelve bucks a bottle yeah. of water. Yeah, they were gouging. For these guys. They were. It was supply yeah. and demand, and they were. They knew they were in demand, and they were gouging every single piece of it. And that that's one of the things that a lot of people that I listened to who were there in these podcasts talked about the fact that they were going to the ATM multiple times during the day, and they were trying to be sensical about how they drink, how they. Eat and all those other sorts of things but you the lines were crazy the food was you know jacked through the roof yeah. and they just was no break from it and the fact that like they couldn't even get like medic i mean the medics were, were hard to get there the fire department at one point in time said screw you we're not coming in just because so many people came to this place and it just was when you see the footage of that crowd right and one woman was saying that she remembers being there for the DMX part. He was a rapper and he was one of the very first acts that came out and she was being lifted off the ground without even kicking her feet. She said that she was, she was about 15 rows back and when the crowd would jump up, she would go with them and she wasn't jumping because like, they were so tightly packed. They were packed. so tightly packed. And that right there, I'm surprised more people didn't die. Just I know. From trampling I, alone. I agree. I agree. It, it I couldn't believe mind. it. I thought it was going to be like a few hundred people died when I watched it. Um, because you look at that crowd and you look at how the, the artists were manipulating that crowd and yet, and he, but there are, there are some significant differences that I think make a big difference in this. In I, cause that, cause I watched the 69 one again, and I actually had an opportunity to watch the expanded version of the 69. They have a new version. I don't know how new it is, but it's a newer version of the 69 documentary with a ton of added footage in it. It's all positive, but it's added footage. Sure. So it gives you a little bit more of in-depth look at it. And as I was watching it, and I watched this after I watched the Netflix uh, 99, and I'm thinking, you know, one of the major differences here is the the aggressiveness of the music. There was not crazy, aggressive, angry music. Correct. There was some loud, aggressive music at Woodstock, but most of the music was the 60s stuff right there were a couple bands that came out of the 50s it was it but it was all 60s music crosby stills and nash um uh uh joan baez right, you know right, santana yeah, yeah you it's know. a lot different than yeah, like rage against was, the machine metallica oh, limb right, biscuit like right. it's a different vibe. so so <laughs> so so i mean let's face it music raises emotion right we behave very much based on the music controls a lot of how we're feeling and you put everybody into a mass 
uh, situation. And then you have somebody come out and they're going, let's break some shit. Yes. Right. And right. you ever wake up and, uh, you know, yeah. like, I mean, he's just, he's just talking about anarchy. Yeah. He's screaming it. He's giving them permission to do it. What the fuck do you think they're going to do? Yeah. And in the middle of break some shit, he, they're starting to tear the tower right. down, the right. sound tower that those guys, it's like, and he did nothing. He could have stopped that. Yeah. He could have stopped. And the first thing he did when he came off stage was he goes, was and, it, it's not my fault. And that's exactly Fred what Durst. I was going to say. Not yeah. my fault. Yeah. And we're referring to the Limp Biscuit set, which really has summed up, like when people think about 99, they, they want to lay it at the foot of Fred Durst. And you're right. He could have done something to quell that crowd for sure. But the reality is, and we had this conversation last week off air before we got into the research on this, is that as a musician, that's your juice. That's, that's what you're juice. feeding off of right. that. So we can't blame him for doing that. No. Now he could have done some things to maybe bring it back down. But the reality is when you look back on it and they're still performing they were just at Lollapalooza this past summer and they're still out there doing their thing and he's still pissed off about 99 because his his career yeah took I saw a hit. him make a comment at Lollapalooza yeah, it about took a that hit, you yeah. know and, and Fred Durst but when he well, came now off, he's got a health issue they had to cancel their tour yeah I saw some that. health issue yeah came up for but him. when he came off stage immediately it's interesting you said that he immediately said it's not our fault that was the first thing he said to MTV yeah. when he came off so he knew in the back of his head usually when somebody says that there's a little bit of truth that it was their fault right you know what I mean? Yeah. He knew well, it so, in a way. So, look, he antagonized a, a tough situation. However, that's the kind of band he is. They know that right. that's what he's there to do. He's not singing Love and Lollipops, right? He's singing Break Some Shit, yeah. you know? Well, and, and let me ask you this. Could they have done... So, if you go through and you look at the at the people who played at this festival they tried to sprinkle you know a soft pop female in there the cheryl crows the yeah Jewels once per day like that. Once, once per day, day which was interesting but you get to that saturday you know that saturday night and you've got lip biscuit with a short break followed by rage against the machine with a short break followed by a 90 to two hour set by Metallica, that is nothing but hard, hard, hard. Right. And nothing against those bands. They're all fantastic. But you almost feel as if they put those in there, they could have spread them out a little bit more right. to create a little bit less of a chaotic experience. Right, right. But I mean, you don't probably think about that. You don't know. I mean, going in, I'm sure Michael Lang and John Sher didn't think that people See, were that's where I disagree. Down. Do you really? That's okay, right. Good. Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you why. At first, I was kind of like, if my first thought when we first started discussing, do we want to do this as a topic? And I was thinking to myself about, you know, as we began to research it and I was looking into it and I was at first, my first thought I admittedly was, well, they probably didn't realize this was going to happen. Right. And then I went, wait a minute, that's not true. We have, it's not like we haven't had major events like this concerts go bad before, right after Woodstock was Altamont right. with the Stones, right. where Meredith Baxter, whatever his guys, Meredith Hunter, got stabbed with a knife by, yeah. by the uh, Hells Angels right. right in front of the damn stage. It went completely off the rails. And it went off the rails for the same reasons. They hired the Hells Angels for security. They didn't have proper security. They didn't have proper food or nothing. They had nothing there to, to be able to take care of a crowd. That I mean, you're talking the crowds the size of a small city. It is. Right? Uh, and there was and there was nothing there. There was also now this wasn't an outdoor concert, but there's also the the famous Who concert that took place when they had general seating in an auditorium and eleven people got crushed to death. Oh man! Right, yeah. running from the yeah, stage yeah, yeah. in the in the seventies, 
and I'm sure that there's more, right? Sure. So we have evidence of of them going wrong and how they could go wrong and what would cause them to go wrong. It it seemed very obvious that they gave that no consideration, right? Because nobody was and then the other thing was that there there was some guy there, he was younger, he was like 23, who, who was 23 back in 99, who tried to warn them about some of the things that they he thought that they were running the edge on. They were he was told to be quiet. Right. Yeah, get right. off this channel. We don't need you in here. Yeah. Yeah. And he was and well, even in the even in the in the planning stages, he was yeah, trying to true. warn about some things yeah. and they told him to shut the fuck up. So it was it was, I think it was extraordinarily irresponsible for them number one to even think that they could pull something off with the same kind of mentality as 69 you got to remember something in 69 in 69 there was a pervasive message of peace and love going on right there was the flower child thing going on there was the anti-vietnam war there was martin luther king there was jfk earlier in the decade uh, early in the decade, JFK gets killed. Later in the decade, RFK gets killed. Right, and then Martin and Martin Luther. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of anti-establishment, but the the crowds then wanted to fix it with peace and love. That was the message. That's how. That's what they thought the world needed in order to fix the problem, not hate and rage and tear shit down. Right. So how they did not know that we did, were not in '69 anymore is. Is I, it's unacceptable. It's to irresponsible. Me. It's, it's arrogant. completely irresponsible. Yeah, completely arrogant. Ab- absolutely, and that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on is the mood of the time, right? So you're talking about they wanted to fix it in the '69 with peace and love and let's all come together yeah. and feel all right. Yeah. Whereas at '99, the mood of the country is four months prior the Columbine massacre takes place, right? So yeah. that's fueling that. Then you've got the uncertainty, the complete and total uncertainty of Y2K that is just around the corner. And I think people forget about how. How nuts that was. I, I mean, the news was oh, pumping it's, fear it's very constantly. similar to what's happening right now. Remember the they news, were trying right? to get executives to yes. fly in planes at midnight? Yes. Because they're because like, they if you... Thought- they were so convinced. The grid was going down. Everything it was the end was of the world. Down. Yeah. So Y2K was coming up. Clinton was impeached, yep, right? With yep. the Monica, Monica Lewinsky trial. Lewinsky. You've got the, the popular movies of the time are Fight Club, which was all about rage. Yep. You've got Matrix, you know. Fight Club in- and how we're never going to be a success. They, 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 like, they, they tell us we're going to be a star, but we're never going to be a star. never going to be a star. Right? Yep, totally. So you've got Fight Club. You've got The Matrix. You've got American Pie. So you've got violence. You've got sex. You've got it permeating all throughout. And now you're going to throw this concert together and it's just simmering rage and that's for the happening. first time the average person could tap into porn anytime they wanted because of the internet interesting right? so think about this yeah. when you and i were kids it was oh we found we found dad's playboy yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that right that was our introduction uh which was very mild right back in the day right this is there and when the internet came right along came the real hardcore porn and it's everywhere and there was also the girls gone wild yeah exactly stuff that was going on so there was a cheapening a a total devaluation of the female um uh ideology as far as respect goes like it just went completely down the toilet yeah and i think that's why to get back to your point about how these promoters should have been able to see this in the popular culture at the time you know there was a lot of there was a lot of craziness that our country was experiencing that was being solved by just 
screaming and being louder and running into people and going absolutely batshit right. crazy. And I think that that was the big aha for me was just the arrogance to touch back on that as well. The arrogance of the promoters, you know, and in the, one of the um, documentaries, again, I, I apologize. I can't remember which one they do these press conferences every morning where they sit around and the media gets to, it ask, was in 99. Yeah. Okay. They get to ask, they get to ask the, the promoters yeah. about, you know, things that are going on. This is the deteriorating we're noticing that the toilets we notice the water all this and that and and john share especially one of the promoters he is so arrogant and he's being like belligerent and mean to these pressers that are asking questions and they're just asking about why are they not emptying any trash why are they not emptying these bins or uh, pumping out the the shit from the outhouses and he's like yelling at them fix it you 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 sit here you try to paint all he tried to blame it on everybody whether it was mtv's fault whether it was you know these 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 people in the press that are writing bad poorly stuff it was just fascinating to me that this guy and again he turned out to be right. the villain of both of these documentaries it does not come across very well yet he's still in the business it's just fascinating to me that 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 was his stance. He was yeah. just going to be like, screw you. This is my show. I'll do whatever the hell I want. Piss off. Right. Wow. Right. Fascinating. Well, you know, one of the things, and I, I got, um, I got a, a few different ways that I tried to look at something was when they were doing those interviews live with the press every morning, I thought to myself, well, one of the things that's very true is they have to control the message. It's spinning out of control, and they can't let that news out that it's spinning out of control because that could create a bigger, bigger problem, sure. right? Well, a much bigger problem. And they're sitting so they there. had to figure out how to control that message. Yeah. And that Sunday, they're interviewing, they're being interviewed live on MTV on Sunday. Yeah. And those three guys are sitting on the couch and they're like, this is the best, best thing, the event <laughs> ever. And you're sitting there thinking, after what we just saw on Saturday night with Limp Biscuit and the chaos that was the ripping down the, the towers around yeah. there and stuff that they could even go on and say those things. But you're right. They probably had to say that. You've got to fake it until you make it sometimes. Right. Even though you know outside it is breaking down hard. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so here's something else that's different. So, and I can't say that I know that they didn't have this at 99, but it was actually a forethought in, uh, in 69. So there was a guy by the name, I forget what his real name is, but he went by the name of Wavy Gravy. Oh, sure. And he, and he had the hog farm, and the hog farm would go out. And what they did was they, they helped people come down off of bad acid trips. And they had a whole thing set up at Woodstock for people that were going through having a bad trip. Sure. And what they would do is the, the hog farm would come in, and they would get people. So people would lose their mind because they were losing control. They're having a, they're having a bad trip. He had a very specific way of talking them back into a good space, uh, teaching them uh, uh, different uh, control things yeah. or whatever. I mean, yeah. I've never done that, so I don't like know. Strategy to sort strategy of. Strategy to maintain, maintain to guide your to own guide journey. You. And then he would teach them to go teach other people. So it spread out throughout Woodstock. So you didn't have as many people freaking out on on drugs and i don't think you know the drugs were also different back then right you know yeah, sure. i mean you talk to anybody that that smoked pot in the 70s and they'll tell you the weed back then was so much milder than the stuff that's being pumped out there today you know it, it's uh it's crazy so the other thing was that we didn't have ecstasy and stuff right i mean people were doing acid yeah. right All, most people just smoked pot. pot yeah um i mean you had to be like 
there were the there was heroin addicts and stuff, but like it wasn't really all that mainstream to be doing coke in '69. Yeah, right. You very, know that came different. in the '70s. That got really big in the '70s, but it was it was it was a very different it was a very different frame. But I do there's there's a lot of evidence that they actually tried to make things better um, in '69, and it really doesn't look like that that happened at all. They completely lost control of the thing. When you watch it, I mean, it just goes down into complete anarchy that yeah. last night. And then here's another here's another thing that I thought was very interesting. They they literally go up to the Red Hot Chili Peppers last act, the right? Last, yeah, they go the up to Anthony Kiedis, right? And they at, and they are like. You need to rain these guys in. Yeah, because okay? at this point in time, fires are burning out in the with the candles. They're lighting Correct. fucking fires. They're burning the place down. And what do they choose to sing? Fire, fire, Jimi yeah, Hendrix, Jimi fire. Hendrix. Yeah, come on, you know, the, the, go burn. Yeah. Like that's what they choose to sing. They just, they just like let's take a gallon of kerosene and just toss it yeah. on this thing. They totally did. Right. The other thing was this: they had everybody freaking believing. That there was going to be a major act come after yeah, that the was Chili Peppers. Thing that was really shady. Yeah, that was shady. yeah. And what it was to get people just, to stay, it right? Just ended up, yeah. It just ended up being a, a Jimi Hendrix coming up on the big screen. Yeah, and that was it. That was it. Yeah, because people were they were thinking maybe Guns N' Roses is coming. Maybe you know, like big bands at the time were going to come together. This band's going right. to get back together and play a set, yeah. and it just fizzled out. And that's when all hell broke loose. They already had the candles, and the candles. The the intent behind the candles was great. It was it was actually to honor those people who had died at Columbine. It was to, it was to promote, they sure didn't you know, seem to give a shit about that. No, they did not. They did not. And they handed candles to these hundreds of thousands of people. And before you know it, this place is burning. There's some images in these documentaries. When you look at it, it honestly looks like something you'd see after a scud missile knocks out something yeah. in Iraq. It is yeah. upside down vehicles, burnt smoldering. You've got a row of 12 semi-trucks that are just charred, yeah. burnt, stuff everywhere. The and diesel the tanks, the diesel tanks on those semis were blowing up. Exactly. And I was shocked that somebody didn't die on, th th you see a tower, you see guys on this tall tower. And if you've ever been to a concert, you know how tall those towers can be. Right. They're wrenching this tower down and that tower goes down. And you know there's and people on, on that. I'm like, how, is, how are people not dying? Again, only three people died. Two of them died on the festival grounds. One of them died outside of the festival grounds and was walking and got hit by a car when her car Car broke down so you've got three people is all that died out of that which is absolutely crazy and what blew well my mind, youth was on their side i think correct you correct. and i'd have been dead the first day well and, and one <laughs> of the gentlemen one of the gentlemen was 40 he was in his 40s and he had a pre-existing heart condition and he died of a heart attack yeah. in the camping area but the other one that they feature prominently on the documentary he died of just basically he he dehydration and hypothermia he was so damn his his temperature was crazy it was like in the, his his internal body temperature was so high i couldn't even believe that a human body could go that high of course he died which was very 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 sad and tragic yeah. and all that stuff but the reality is is when you go back and you look at this and you see all the things that were going on there, you just see the mindset of people who normally in any given situation wouldn't be doing that. But when you add alcohol, drugs, no food, naked people, naked people, and you're absolutely wiped out. Like these people didn't sleep. Like right. they're on a three day runner. It's not surprising that it went the way that it went. And it's crazy because there was talk about rebooting it for 50. There was talk about doing Woodstock 50 right around the corner. Now, that's not going to happen. That's already been shelved. We are not because doing Because Michael Lang died three months Correct. after the... 
the Correct. Yeah. Documentary. He, he passed away. So that isn't going to happen. But the, the truth is, what's funny about this is Coachella started the same year. Coachella started Did it, in 1999. Yeah, it started in 99. I was wondering when they started. Yeah, it started in 99. And it's a totally different experience. And I'm, I'm not comparing the two of them because they're very, very different. But... When you go to Coachella, the very first one, they gave out water. When the very first one, free parking. Like they did all these sorts of things that Woodstock 99 did not do to get that festival off on the has right Has Coachella foot. ever gone crazy? It has never gone crazy. And it's huge, right? It it's is huge. massive. Yeah, it's just, it tracks a different kind of clientele. This clientele was all angry, you know, like frat boys out there screaming, jumping around, wanting to do as much damage. And then, of course, you bring in, you know, the, the, the sexual assault and all the things that happened. I think there was only something like 44 arrests the entire weekend out of that, which is insane to me. Uh, par partly because there was the, 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 there was so much lawlessness. The police I weren't going to go in there. I, I cannot imagine. I will say this, though. And not, that I, not that I think that anybody deserves to be molested in any way. But when you see females walking around completely naked in that situation, it's like how they didn't feel how they didn't recognize they were in danger is beyond me. Like you could see that this was a dangerous situation, so that scary. that is not a good idea to do this yeah. in this situation. Well, and that was the one thing that Cher said, and it, this kind of really bothered me and it bothered a lot of people. I mean, Twitter blew up about this when he said this quote, but it was basically the notion, he, he had this notion that a woman walking around naked is partly to blame for the sexual assaults. And I was thinking to myself, I get, you got to read the room, right? You got to read the room. You got to understand the environment you're in. But the reality is, is that if you choose to walk around naked in that area, it doesn't invite someone That's right. to come and That's do right. things to right. you, which is crazy. But you also need to read the room and it guys and girls alike. But when he said that, I was like, oh my God, is this guy for real? Like he is totally going to blame these women that were the victims of this because they were walking around with right. their top off. I mean, I mean, and if you go back to 69, it happened in 94, it happened in 99 as well. That does not give you the right to do that. And the fact that he did that, I was like, this guy, I'm, I'm surprised he isn't, I'm surprised somebody hasn't come yeah. down and chased this guy yeah, down. Yeah, he just could, he just found every reason to blame everybody else for totally. everything else. Totally. I mean, that was the way that it was. So. And the idea behind it, I mean, let's be honest, it was to make money. And that's where the capitalistic greed came into play, profit stock, they called it, all these sorts of things. With the jacking of the prices, when the, when the demand needed to be met, you could see that this was and MTV was culpable in this because they were in that total request live. They were really blowing up. They were trying to be, you know, MTV used to be anti-establishment when it first came out. You probably remember those early eighties. It was all anti-establishment. Yeah, it's I like remember. we're we're just this small little up and coming company. By that time, they were had completely shifted the message. And right. you know, when they're making all this money off of pay-per-view buys, you know that they're gonna do whatever it takes to fuel this. Yeah. And I think that this broke down in the planning stages of this, like you said. Yeah. I think they cut corners, they cut costs, they they did some shady things around ticket sales when they only showed there was only 200 and some thousand tickets sold when actually there was upwards of 400,000 people that attended right. because there was built-in penalties with the city and all these other sorts of things. But what fascinates me is they cut corners on the important things like trash, sanitation, cleaning out the, I guess they cleaned out the shitters on Friday because there was a pre-concert Thursday. They cleaned them out Friday and never did it again. Never did it again. Never did it again. And then you've also got all these, you know, this security, <laughs> I use air quotes, this peace patrol that they had. There was really just a short little training for these people and they were just concert goers. They got there, they got their shirt and they said, screw it, I'm yeah. not doing anything. And there were, and there were, there were guys that had those shirts that were selling them for 400 bucks so that, that so that anybody could get backstage. Yeah. They were trying to make money off oh, of totally. it. Oh, totally. Selling them for 400 bucks a piece. The it's just sad thing down. is, is that 
it's obvious that concerts of that size can be extremely profitable because you have you have organizations like Coachella that continue to do it and they do it they do a from my understanding they do a great job and everybody has an amazing time but they plan it correctly um you can't cut costs yeah, period yeah there i don't see any re- like this is one of those situations where actually now, by not cutting costs, you could probably make way more money. You're just not thinking. You're Correct. thinking a complete lack mindset, and that causes you know it causes people to get hurt. Is yeah. is what it does. Because even at even at like at a four hundred thousand event, if everything goes right, you're still going to have injuries. Correct. Right. There's you're, no way you can't. There's no way you can't. Yeah. There's going to be people that have heat stroke. There's going to be people that get sick. I mean, I've gone to an outdoor one day, just a one day festival. A couple of them. You're outside in the, the way we were at the Rose Bowl. It was hot. You know, you're drinking as much water as you can. But even then, there's people passed out. There's a huge medic tent. There's always going to be something. But this devolves have, so quickly. In all the concerts that I have been to, and I have been to a lot, almost all of them there's something that goes sure. wrong. You always have your little uh, group of people that go out of their mind or, yeah. or they're, they try to push the boundaries or steal a t-shirt or, you know, they're always doing something that they, they shouldn't be doing. I've seen mild to wild at concerts yeah. in, in, my, in my, I've seen some really scary stuff. Yeah. And the concerts are no, that's 17,000 people that I've seen scary shit. Correct. I can't imagine. 400,000. Yeah, I mean, and, and you've got to go see these images for yourself. You've got to go see the, the the wave of people. And I can imagine as an entertainer being able to feed off of that. So I don't I don't blame this on Limp Bizkit and Fred Durst. Oh, I don't yeah. blame this on Rage no. or Metallica or the Red Hot Chili Peppers even for doing what they did because they had planned on doing a promotion. Uh, they were going to do a special tribute to Jimi Hendrix and they were actually working with his family on that. That's why if you hear the video, you'll hear, say, you'll hear Anthony ask Flea, should we do it? Should we do it? And they're like, of course, we're going to do it. And and that's when fire came out, probably in hindsight. But I don't think they'd. I don't and think they'd say they did anything wrong. Oh, totally, just <laughs> flopping around in all his glory. Right, which right. that's flea, which is freaking amazing. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, they're in Charlotte next week. So that's kind of cool. That's they're going to be. They're still is around. That right? And a lot of these bands are still around, to be yeah. honest. And I think it's really, really great. It's unfortunate that this had to go the way it went, but we're still talking about it. So it's still in the zeitgeist. And I think the important reason that we bring it up is because the documentaries came out, but also to see what the mindset is around how a cultural moment can actually lead to people who normally wouldn't lose their minds losing their minds. I mean, take the drugs and the alcohol out of it a little bit. If you get in a group of people and everybody starts thinking the same way, you're just going to go over. It's it's over. You're going to go right along with them. So I just, I don't know. This is a really cool this is a really cool conversation. I love that. And in 99, I mean, I was, I was just starting my career. I was just getting married. I mean, this happened on my wedding weekend. Like we got married on the day that the surprise you guys didn't go. Oh my God. Thank God we were on the other side of the country. I'm not a mass crowd person, but in 99, that Sunday when all hell broke loose and the fires erupted, we were, you know, sitting in a wine cave in Sonoma Valley, enjoying our, our wedding, which is crazy. I really didn't even know that this was going on at the time. I think I knew that there was another Woodstock going to happen, but I was really busy getting ready to build my business. And I was making some huge life decisions. I wasn't paying attention to any of this shit. Yeah. It was in your, it was in your seven years of study. It was in your no more TV. I'm going to read, I'm going to learn, I'm going to study, I'm going to grow. Yeah. You would not have seen this, but it's always great to be able to go back and look at the footage of this. And I know that there was some tragedy there and I know that there's some, some victims of sexual assault out there and all these other sorts of chaos that happened. But if you do the research and you go in and listen for yourself, there's people who were there who had a 
absolutely amazing time and they look at it as one yeah. of the most amazing things yeah. they've ever done yeah there's people who said that they would go back yeah. like i can't imagine that but not for me but you know it's in, it's it's also the only view of it we have are those two documentaries so you actually don't know what it was like to be inside there and how you would have contorted yourself and what you would have done and how do you protected yourself i'm sure there were people that had a blast and, no, and it was no big deal for them because they're showing it from the the, the bad side of it right. you know and then here's the thing i think when you're a teenager all that stuff looks very different than when you're 40 or 50 years old yes. right i mean it's like it's excitement it's you know energy that kind of stuff it's a lot of energy yeah. it's like fuck yeah, yeah you know and when you're 50 years old you're like no fuck that yeah. <laughs> like that, get, no that, get off got, my lawn basically but yeah. i think when you're older, you come from the point of understanding the consequences of things right. much differently, right? When you're yeah. that young, they, they really don't. Yeah, it's for sure. Just sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. Well, I would love to hear if any of you out there, I don't know if our, our demographic. Oh, tell us, yeah. Oh, please go tell watch, us. Go watch it and let us know what yeah. you think. Let us know, first of all, about the documentary, what your takeaway was from it. If you were actually at the concert, I think it would oh, be so to cool to hear. Yeah. I think they should DM you on Instagram. I think they should DM you on Instagram. On Instagram. David underscore P underscore Nagel. DM him if you were actually there. And please, no fake news here. Please, if you were there, I would love to hear because I don't know anybody personally who was there, but I've heard from some people no. like on podcasts that were. I would love no. to know if any of our listeners. Now I've were known there. people personally that were at the original Woodstock. Really? Yeah, cool. yeah, That's but cool. I don't know anybody from '94, and I don't know anybody 99. from '99. Well, if you no. were one of them, make sure you uh, make sure you DM. Me. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been great. Thanks, David. Yeah. All right, Woodstock 99. I, for one, was not there, but I wonder if anybody out there listening to this or watching this was. So do us a favor, because you found the channel, give us a like, let us know in the comments below what takeaways you had from watching the documentaries we mentioned. Again, Trainwreck on Netflix, the Music Box on HBO Max. Check those two docs out and let us know what your takeaway was from this crazy, crazy weekend in New York. As always, ring that bell so you get notified when we have these sorts of episodes. Full Throttle Thursday is about having interesting conversations around mindset, and this one was definitely one of those. So if you're a big music lover, I think you'll enjoy this, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast because we certainly did. It was super, super fun. So until the next time, rock out, and we'll see you on the next Successful Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.